0: Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. On today's podcast, I'm joined by GPs Dr. Tommy Perkins and Dr. Ed Cantello, who set up the company Medics Money to help educate doctors about finance and ensure they had access to reliable financial information. In our conversation, they talk about how and why they set up their business, provide some advice on how practices can cope with rising inflation, and discuss some of the problems surrounding the NHS pension. They also provide some basic finance tips to GPs at different stages of their careers. And Tommy explains why he thinks being a partner is still a great career option. I'm delighted to be joined today by GPs Dr. Tommy Perkins and Dr. Ed Cantalow. Tommy and Ed are the doctors behind the company Medics Money, which aims to help doctors, dentists and other professionals to make better financial decisions. Their website contains lots of practical advice on money matters, along with helping doctors to find accountants, mortgage advisors and financial advisors. Meanwhile, Tommy and Ed's Medics Money podcast is rated five stars and is consistently ranked among the top medical podcasts. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: One of the things I found really interesting about you guys is that, Ed, you're actually a trained chartered accountant and tax advisor, and you worked for nine years in those roles, but you're now a GP. I mean, that's a pretty unusual career path. How did that come about, and why did you switch to medicine?
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a good question. Essentially, I started off doing economics, my first degree, went straight into accountancy at PwC in London, did my charter tax advisor exams, chartered account exams and, and so on. But um, when I reached the age of 29, I had a, uh, had an accident, um, nothing particularly major. Now now being a doctor, I can understand it's it wasn't particularly major, but obviously at the time I didn't have a clue. Ended up going to various, in various sort of healthcare settings um, and was really grateful for the, for the treatment that I received. And just... Coincidentally, um, you know, not long after I, I read an article in The Evening Standard, because it was around the time of the, the 2009 financial crisis. Uh, a lot of people were struggling with the, with the recession. And in this article in The Evening Standard, it mentioned how people were coping with the recession. So you had people that, um, were, you know, being made redundant in finances and going into um, becoming electricians or plumbers. But it also mentioned that there was a, a four year graduate entry uh, medicine program that had been set up, which gave you a little bit of financial help. And I thought about this and I thought, well, you know what, I'm not overly happy with my job at the moment. Really, um, you know, really happy of how amazing everyone was in the in the healthcare that I, I received. So I, you know, decided to look into it and I lined up some work shadowing. I volunteered at King's College Hospital. I put myself through night school in Hammersmith to do a chemistry A-level. That was like six hours after work every every week. Uh, and I did various sort of entrance exams for applying. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the interviews were in sort of January, February, didn't get anywhere with that around may time way after i was expecting to get told yes or no uh, it was an, it was the night before um william and kate got married i got a, a message saying your ucas entry changed and i got a place and uh, i mean by that point we were sort of need two years after this this accident things were going better with my job but i thought if i don't if i don't go for this if i don't do this i'm just going to regret it for the rest of my life and uh, yeah and the rest is history
0: I mean, are there there any similarities between being an accountant and a doctor?
1: Uh, Yeah, there are. I mean, you know, and I think, funny, in in a strange way, I think that might have helped my kind of application because obviously I had no medical background at that time and I had no science background either i mean i did maths at a level but that was years before not really um you know not biology or chemistry so i think um I'm, i wonder if they may have looked at uh, the various skills that you have as an accountant and and transpose them onto being a doctor because there are some similarities so being organized being able to prioritize effectively they're both key it's important to build up a relationship with your, your clients and keep their affairs confidential uh, and both, both jobs are or, or can be stressful and involve long hours. Although I would argue that being a doctor is a lot more antisocial and a lot more stressful. Um, of course, the biggest difference is, is just that the stakes are so much higher for, for doctors when when human error comes in and, and, and mistakes are made. But another difference, of course, is that accountants by their nature get uh, financial training, but doctors get hardly any at all. Even those that are running GP practices or going to private practice or in, you know, nobody teaches, teaches us much about this at all.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask you Tommy that. So why did you guys kind of come together to set up Medic's Money?
2: Yeah, I think leading on from what Ed just said is that we realised doctors didn't get any financial training, but really the Medic's Money story starts 14 years ago. And don't worry, I'm going to keep this brief um, because, um, you know, I came from a working class background, uh, first doctor in my family. And when I left medical school, I had just hideous debts. So I had a student loan, I had a bank loan, I had a a 10 grand on a credit card, and I owed my mum five grand. And five grand for my mum is so much money. And I just got no financial education at all at medical school. And suddenly I got my first paycheck and looked at my loan repayments, and I was like, crikey, this isn't what I was expecting. And so I realized I was in a really big tight spot financially and I really panicked. And so that just led me to educate myself about my own finances. And like I said, we never got any teaching about it. So I just educated my, myself about it using all different methods. And I got quite good at it. And I Where I think it sort of started is I managed to claim back the tax relief on doing the GP exams, which are nearly over two grand now, I think. So I got 40% of that back. And then lots of my friends were like, right, show me how to do it. So I showed them how to do it. And then their friends told their friends about it. And suddenly I was helping way too many people manage their finances. And I tried to shut it down because... I always wanted to be a doctor. I never wanted to do something like this, um, but it just wouldn't die. And then I bumped into Ed um, when I was doing a locum in a and he was an accountant. And he'd been through a sort of similar journey with the kind of education and helping out his colleagues and stuff. And we were like, look, someone should really start something to help doctors to, you know, educate themselves. And then we were like, yeah, they really should. And then eventually we were like, uh should we do it and so that's how we got started yeah
0: what is it that you actually do as medics money what do you what do you offer
2: to doctors yeah Great question. So I guess our, our catchy strap line is that we empower doctors to make better financial decisions. And what that actually means is that we address the two big issues that we consistently saw our colleagues struggle with. And I already mentioned one, that as doctors, we receive plenty of medical education, but no or almost no financial education. And I'm not sure why this is really, because Ed already mentioned, you know, GPs are running small businesses, they don't get much education. Education. Locums are running, you know, a small business themselves. They don't get much education, and maybe people assume that because we're doctors, we're sort of clever and therefore good with money, and we don't see that correlation at all. But if we can give doctors the financial education they need, then we can empower them to make uh, better financial decisions. And for various reasons, you know, lots of doctors are having real terms pay cuts at the moment due to inflation, which we might talk about in a bit. Uh, The pensions increasingly complex, you know, for GP partners, the finances around a PCN are really complex. So for all of these reasons and more, it's never been more important for doctors to understand their finances and to talk about money. Um, And so, so that was the first issue basically education and the second issue is that doctors struggle to know where to get good advice and as we know doctors finances are pretty complex and they may need specialist advice especially around the, the issues that we mentioned pensions the partnership etc and there was plenty of advisors out there who claimed to specialize in doctors But this is kind of scary, perhaps, actually, that anyone uh, can call themselves an accountant or a specialist medical accountant. And we noticed that non-specialists were more likely to make mistakes. So we interviewed and put through our rigorous due diligence process, 58 of what we believe are the best specialist advisors out there who meet our criteria for excellence. And they've been verified by us, but they also have reviews from GMC doctors, registered doctors, just like your listeners. And we put them on Medix Money and our search algorithm can match your unique circumstances to the best advisor from our network. And we've matched over 6,000 doctors now and we're really happy to be working with the best advisors in the business. And it's really great that our colleagues can come somewhere and know that they are getting the right advice for the right price. So in a nutshell, that's what we do.
0: Ed, maybe you could answer this. What do you think is the most Pressing financial issue for doctors, and you know, in particular GPs at the minute. Is there anything that's kind of top of the list of things that people should be thinking about?
1: I mean, there's 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 so many that uh, you know we could do a whole podcast just uh, just on that really. But uh, you know, there's 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 you know a lot of pressing financial problems at the moment. You know, inflation is currently spiraling, and uh, you know things like energy, fuel, food, everything's getting much more expensive. Everyone's feeling the squeeze. Um, but, of course, in, in the healthcare setting, GPs, we've got the, the recent national insurance rise and wage inflation, which is a big problem for, for GP practices at the moment. Uh, I, you know, in terms of um, staff bills going up, GP practices having to deal with uh, increased expenses um, as, as well. Uh, and, of course, uh, I believe, and is actually going to be better, knowing this more than me, but I think um, we just had a below inflation uplift to the, the GMS contract.
2: So the GMS contract uplift was below inflation. I know more money has been diverted into the PCNs, but, you know, I think that's going to be a big problem. Uh, I, I think as well, you know, locums, they don't get any education. So that that's a big problem. And of course, the pension is, is a massive problem as well.
0: What sort of advice would you kind of give to practices about how they could maybe manage their finances in the next couple of years with all of this going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, it,
2: it is really, really hard
1: to, to deal with, to be honest. I mean, the, the issue that the we all have at the moment is that uh, inflation is so high because of various sort of supply issues uh, in, in, you know, fuel is in, you know, less supply, you know, there's a lot of issues at the moment with food because of the, uh, the war in Ukraine affecting grain and all these things. So it's really difficult to, um to, to deal with that because, you know, for GB practice is now paying a lot more for their, their energy bills, just like you or I, you know, having trouble, you know, with our energy bills at home. Uh, it's quite difficult to kind of mitigate that. So, Really, it's very tough to find a you know, good solution to it. The main thing, of course, is just do it, you know, where you can to maximise um, you know, your expenses, claims, and to make sure you're, you're maximising your income while doing everything you can to try and minimise your expenses in other ways. And that would include for us as individuals um, trying to minimise our, our tax bills.
0: One of the other issues, obviously, that's a big issue to doctors is the the pension. You know, the whole issue around tax and pensions is really complicated, but it has caused a lot of problems for doctors. I mean, the government did try and address it by increasing the annual allowance threshold. But has that really helped at all? Or is this still a
2: major problem? I wondered when we'd get on to the pension. <laughs> you, you mentioned the tax issues with the pension. I'm going to widen that out a bit and talk about tax administration issues and you know knowing what to do but before I do say that I, I, we talk about the pension a lot on our podcast often in a kind of negative way but the NHS pension is still a, a great deal for the vast majority of us it's an index linked guaranteed income for life it's a really important part of our numeration package and I see lots of people that are opting out possibly without making an informed decision so Keep that in your mind and then listen to what I'm about to say, because I think I I talked about the admin issues and I read recently on GP online that uh, PCSE or Capita uh, have now admitted that there's 20,000 GP uh, pension records that are in error. So PCSE has been really terrible for the pension. And so many people are struggling with this. And and it's just so, so, I cannot believe it's still going on. And, you know, it affects everybody, right, from locum GPs who are sending off their Form A's and their Form B's and, you know, not getting any acknowledgement and the, and the money just uh, it disappears into the ether, right up to partners who, who are struggling with it as well. The administration of the pension records is a massive, massive problem. So that's one part of the problem. The second is, as you alluded to, the tax issues. So, and you already mentioned one of them, which is the annual allowance. So, for those that don't know, the annual allowance is an annual limit on the amount of contributions or benefits accrued, and that's a key bit, yeah, that you can put in a pension each year. And the reason why benefits accrued is so important for the NHS pension is because the NHS pension is not like most other pensions. So I keep this brief, but basically you've got defined contribution pension, like most normal non-NHS pensions. So perhaps like you have, Emma. Um, And the the annual allowance for that is really, really simple. It's just £40,000 of contributions. So as long as you don't contribute more than £40,000 in a year, with a caveat I'll mention in a minute, you're all good. So simple. So that's defined contribution. But the NHS pension is what's known as a defined benefit pension. And for this type of pension, the annual allowance is not the contributions, but the benefits accrued. So another way of saying the growth and the growth in the NHS pension can vary dramatically and is really hard to calculate, especially for GPs whose income might vary considerably and might have trouble getting their uh, data from uh, PCSE, allegedly. Um, so you can get these really high spikes of growth in the pension that are hard to predict, hard to calculate, and you know can result in really eye-watering tax bills for those that are caught out. And... If you exceed the annual allowance uh, that we mentioned of forty thousand, uh, you pay tax on the excess over forty at your marginal or highest rate of tax. So it's pretty punitive if you get caught out. And then the other thing is, of course, the lifetime allowance, which broadly speaking, is the total amount that you can save into a pension over your lifetime. And since it was introduced in 2006, it did follow inflation for a while. So it got up to 1.8 million. But now it's been reduced to 1,073,100 pounds. And I mean, you talk about this a lot. That that the allowance has been frozen, and so it's not technically a tax rise, but it is in effect a tax rise because of fiscal drag. Um, and the final thing is is education. You know, the pension is so complicated now; like, it's by it's just too complicated, and that can lead to people, uh, doctors, just sort of giving up and just opting out because it's too complicated. And I can't give you financial advice, but both me and Ed are all in on the pension because we recognize its benefits. So I think, you know, get the right advice for the right price. And again, that's why we started medics money. And if I give my accountant a stethoscope, they don't become a doctor and if i give a gp uh, a pension spreadsheet uh, they don't become an accountant so you need to understand why you about your pension learn about your pension and if you are high earning gp or approaching retirement you probably need an advisor who actually understands the NHS pension
0: do you have any advice you know you mentioned there about gps approaching retirement do you, is there any kind of key financial advice for gps at different sort of stages of their careers you know what should gps starting out be thinking about what should mid-career gps be thinking about and what should should GPs later on be thinking about?
2: Okay, so let's break it down then. So for trainees, uh, pension-wise, uh, you should just learn how the pension works, get what's called a total reward statement, because that is uh, a record of your contributions. And uh, if you're a trainee, that could be the last time your TRS is ever accurate, once your numbers go into the PCSE random number generator um so so check your trs um you could also get something called a membership statement and just remember that you know the pension is still a great deal and i i think trainees are incredibly unlikely to need any pensions advice other than get your trs and make sure that the data is accurate i mean other things for trainees i think the, the exam rebates do you want to talk about that
1: yeah definitely so for gb trainees you know it's really vital to maximize their tax rebates so your AKT exam and your RCA exam or or CSA if if uh, like me and Tommy he did the CSA before it changed, um, though they're, they're all allowable expenses and they're quite significant. So you can get forty percent up to forty percent of that tax back. Um, plus, make sure you're claiming for your Royal College fee, your GMC fee, your BMA fee. All these all these fees, you know, it's really important to make sure the trainee you're maximizing those and getting getting the money back for that um the other thing is gp 20s for gp trainees is if if you're still at that stage uh you're in st1 or st2 where you're you know potentially moving around um which you know if, if you where i where, I, where I, I work you um just stay in one area but if you are in a place where you have to move trust at all which are may be rare then just keep an eye on that as well because if, as we move trust the HMRC kind of get confused and think we have more than one employer uh, and that can lead to all manner of issues of your tax code and so on so it's probably not going to apply to too many people but just uh, keep an eye on that as well.
2: Yeah there's so much that we can mention but if you want to know how to claim the tax rebate we've got a free guide it's been downloaded by over 33,000 doctors now and it just walks you through how to claim a tax rebate step by step. You do not In my view, need an accountant to do your tax claim. You just follow our guide, listen to our podcast. Uh, We've got loads of resources for that. So that's the trainees. So mid-career GPs, you need to do everything that we just said uh, because you always got to take care of the basics. But I think you should start to think about retirement. And because the NHS pension's got different sections and the retirement ages vary. So broadly speaking, in the 95 scheme, the retirement age is 60. Uh, I'm ignoring mental health officer and special class status there for the pension geeks. But let's just say, let's just say 95 is 60, 2008 is 65. But this is the key bit, the 2015 scheme, which we're all going to end up in eventually, the retirement age is linked to state retirement age. So for me, that's already 68. So If you want to retire at an age you choose and not an age decreed by the government, because remember, 2015 is linked to state retirement age, then you need to plan ahead, okay? So you've got to plan ahead. So it sounds crazy to be planning for retirement when you're mid-career, but it's not. And if you get to mid-career, the other paperwork that you should consider getting is what's called an annual allowance statement. And that's just to make sure that you haven't got an annual allowance issue. So I would recommend that. And at this stage, you may consider taking some financial advice because you're starting to get into more complicated stuff. Unlike the trainees who can just use the MIDIX Money website. And then... Approaching retirement, I mean, I think you just need to get advice, really, because it's so complicated. So, um, yeah, and if you are approaching retirement, thank you for all your hard work in the NHS. Um, Me and Ed are very jealous that you're retiring.
0: (laughs) I mean, one of the other things I wanted um, to ask you about is um, we ran an article on our website that you wrote, Tommy, about becoming a partner and why you think it's still a really good career option if you can find The right partnership. Why you are a partner, aren't you? Why do you think that?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm aware I might be swimming against the tide here. Although I I don't think I am. But the, the great thing about being a GP is that the role is so diverse, and you can shape your career just how you like it. Right. So you can have a portfolio career. So. I still think being a doctor is the best job that I've ever had. I mean, we get paid to help people and make them better. But for context, I've been a salaried GP. I was a locum. I work as a GP with special interests in dermatology. And I have obviously medics money. And so I still think that medicine is the best job out there. And if you've read the article, well, first of all, I'm not in the honeymoon period. I've been a a partner now for four years. So I'm through the honeymoon period and I still love it. Um, And there's many reasons why I chose to become a partner, including the fact that I could cycle to the practice, which is really important for me, for my well-being. But I do also like the business side of things. I like to be in control of a small, agile organization that if I see something needs changing i can make that change and you know right now is a really hard time to be a gp but it's also the crisis is fostering innovation so i i still love it four years in
0: but what sort of things would you recommend to gps who are thinking about becoming partners i mean there are i mean obviously we know that lots of people don't want to be partners but there are people out there who still are thinking about it at some point what would you recommend that they do if that's what they want to to do
2: Yeah, I think that's a really important point that I already touched on that, you know, partnership is not right for everybody. And if it's not right for you, like, you know, absolutely no problem. That's the great thing about being a GP. And each of us has different priorities about what we want from being a GP partner. And as I said, for example, for me, cycling to work was really important to maintain my physical uh, and mental health. So I only considered partnerships that I could cycle to. So the right cultural fit as well is really important. And I think that's why you either need prior experience of working at the practice or a long mutual assessment period prior to joining the partnership is vital so that you know what your fit is, because whilst our preferences for cultural fit might be might be different you know so you you got to work that out and then you know at the end of the day a GP partnership is a business and you need to make sure that the business is healthy and that's quite tricky to do but I think there's a few sort of things that you could do so you could get a copy of the accounts and we have a guide on our website about how to analyze the accounts but but briefly just have a look at the accounts and there's a few kind of in medicine we work on red flags so you know sort of things which are potentially worrying so um, red flags in the accounts i would say brackets mean a negative number and you might not know that because no one's ever taught you but brackets on accounts uh, mean a negative number not always a problem but if the bottom line has brackets that is a problem so if you see brackets have a closer look Have a look at the list of partners, you know, so has there been lots of recent changes in the list of partners and are they just normal retirement or is it an indication of unhappiness within the practice so find out more about the history and why are the partners lists different from year to year in the accounts. Also, if the accounts are finalized late, that may indicate a problem. So if the year end is March and it takes until maybe the following January to finalize the accounts, why? Maybe there's a problem with the partners disagreeing with the figures or maybe the information is not being supplied in a timely fashion to the accountant. So if that information is not being supplied in a timely fashion, why is it not flowing through the accounts? So there's so much to cover.
0: Um, one of the things you kind of touched on it there was about, I mean, obviously you've got quite a few few roles um, and this whole idea of portfolio careers has obviously become more and more um, attractive to, to GPs um, given the sort of pressure general practices under. Um, but a lot of GPs have also set up their own business like you guys have with Medics Money. But what's what would you, do you have any advice for GPs who are listening, who are thinking about maybe setting up their own business on the side, doing something? Did you have to kind of scale back the time you worked in general practice? How did you go about setting up the business?
2: Yeah. So I think three things that I think you should think about that you need. Okay. So if you're thinking about doing something, I think you need passion. Okay. Because you are passionate about being a doctor. That's why you're a doctor. And then you're saying, well, I'm going to replace that, pa- that passion of being a doctor with something else. So you need to be passionate about that something else. And the other reason that you need to be passionate about that something else is because as a doctor, you are reasonably well paid. The chance of you spinning up something on the side and instantly exceeding the earnings that you get as a doctor are really slim uh, in in our experience <laughs> um so, so so you need to be passionate about what you're doing i think that's under underrated and then i think you need to solve a problem for people so whatever you're doing does it solve a problem so you might be really into the latest app technology that can do you know scan your hair and tell you what what color your hair is right but if if that's not solving a problem that people have then i think you will struggle mm. and i think the final part as well and this is something that we 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 think about a lot is you need a plan okay so it's great to have a passion it's great to solve a problem but at the end of the day uh, everyone's got a mortgage to pay everyone's got fuel bills to pay which are rising so your your project needs to you know finance itself or or support itself in some way so Yeah, and then the final thing I'm going to say, I know Ed's got something to say about scaling back time uh, here, but uh, think about what you want. So at the start, we thought about starting our own accountancy firm, of course, because of Ed's skills. Uh, But I am personally incredibly glad that we did not do that. The the reason that we didn't is that we still wanted to be doctors um, and we wanted to help our colleagues um, with their finances. And if we started our own accountancy firm, that would have been it for medicine so just think about what you what the end game looks like for you so don't know what your thoughts are mate
1: yeah i was, I was just gonna say about you asked about whether we had to scale back the time that we worked in general practice um to get minutes money off the ground uh i mean when tommy and i met in a and e i i was i'd been posted there as an f2 so there was no kind of scope for scaling back uh, any work and then you know, when medics money really started to get going, uh, I was a, a GP registrar, so again, kind of unable to scale back any time. Plus, I had my exams to do. So for me, a lot of the medics money work was done in the evenings or or the weekends. Um, but also, we, really importantly, you know, because we couldn't scale back the time, so I couldn't scale back in my time. Uh, we. Did build quite a good team of people that really helped us out so all the things that especially myself but I think Tommy as well couldn't do so setting up a website uh, any sort of marketing etc you know we've got a really some really good people to work on that for us um, so it's really important to, to get you know recognize your skills recognize what you're good at and uh, get people to help out for the bits you can't do um, once I qualified as a GP in August 2020 I, I stayed at my, my practice and I negotiated doing seven sessions um, so I, I took Wednesdays off so that I could work with with Tommy on Medics Money because uh, that's the day he's got up as well. So, um, yeah, so no scaling back initially, but uh, a little bit now.
0: So, so, obviously, you've got the podcast, really successful, the website, linking people up with um, financial advisors, mortgage advisors, and all that. But what's what's next for Medics Money? Where are you going next?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that we're working really hard on, literally right now, uh, All day today um, has been our uh, amazingly successful new to GP partnership course because, of course, all doctors need financial education, but GP partners are running small or even medium sized businesses and they get no financial education. And my own transition to partner was made so much easier by hanging around with people like Ed and all the other experts at Medics Money. And we just thought, can we recreate that for? more people. So we launched our first cohort of the course uh, in October. And the third cohort uh, is launching in June. And it's been amazingly successful and uh, really, really popular. But also, we just find it so rewarding and so fulfilling to help out our colleagues in this way. Because if you can understand how your GP business works, you can Drive improvements and, and make it better. And we don't just talk about the business side of things. We have a whole section on well being because that is really, really important as well. And for me, that's the most useful session because obviously I'm all right on the financial side and the business side, but the well being session is the one that I enjoy the most. So, yeah, the, the Medics Money New to GP Partnership course is growing really rapidly. And uh, that's what we're doing right now. So it's super exciting.
0: How, it does sound really interesting. That sounds like a really useful thing. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. No, thank you for having us.
0: Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Tommy and Ed for taking the time to talk with me today. We've put some links to some of the resources Medics Money have available in the notes for this show. I'm back next week when we'll be talking about the latest news stories affecting general practice. So please do join us then. In the meantime, you can keep up with all the news affecting primary care on our website at gponline.com.